So I guess it was on Thursday this week, I was walking out from the office here at the church to the parking lot to jump in my car and run an errand, and I noticed for the first time that a construction crew had begun tearing up the sidewalk on the north side of our campus. So I walked out to see what was going on, and I found one of the guys, and I said, uh, hey, I noticed that the Mulberry Street entrance to our parking lot seems to be blocked off. What's the timeline there? I asked. Oh, he said, well, we'll pour the concrete tomorrow. It'll take the weekend to cure, and then we'll open it up on Monday morning. <laughs> oh, I said, well, that's unfortunate. He looked around, and then with a moment of realization said, oh, you probably have services here on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I said, and it's not just any Sunday, it's Easter Sunday, it's kind of our Super Bowl around here. <laughs> he said, wait, this Sunday is Easter? He asked, standing directly in front of our sign that says, celebrate Easter with us this weekend. Yeah, I said, it is. And to his credit, he made a couple of calls and worked it out so that the lot was open this morning when you came in. But my encounter on Thursday with the construction crew reminds me that while we've celebrated this day for a couple thousand years, it's still true that Easter can sneak up on us. And even, maybe more importantly, we can still be surprised by Easter's affirmation that resurrection is not only possible, but new life is springing up before us each and every day if we only have eyes to see and ears to hear. So this morning, we're invited to hear again the story of the resurrection as we receive it in the Gospel of John. Listen to God's word for us today. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their home. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. 
Jesus said to her, her, woman, why are you weeping? She, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, for you alone are our rock and our redeemer, and let all God's people say, Amen. Well, here at First Presbyterian, throughout the season of Lent, we have been exploring stories of encounters with Jesus, as they're told in the Gospel of John. Stories about individuals or groups of people whose encounters with Jesus leave them profoundly changed, blessed, inspired, affirmed, healed, reconciled, restored, even risen from the dead. And they also deepen and expand their understanding of who Jesus is and what his mission is about. And in studying these stories together, we've also considered how our lives are transformed through our own encounters with Jesus, our encounters with one another, and the ways in which we can best encounter the world in which we live. And so it's with that in mind that I read the story of the resurrection in John's Gospel this year, a story that I've studied and written about and preached on a few times over the years. But this year, I specifically read the story through this lens of our encounters with Jesus theme. And through that lens, I noticed first and foremost that the very first encounter ever recorded with the risen Jesus, having been raised from the dead, that very first encounter is with Mary. With Mary. Just a one-on-one -on -one encounter between Jesus and his beloved friend, Mary. Now, if you're familiar with this story, too, you may no longer recognize how extraordinary this moment is, how counterintuitive, honestly, how odd this story is. To see what I mean, let's pause for a moment and back up and take a kind of 30,000-foot view. In fact, I want to invite you for a moment to imagine that you are God. And being God, you're in charge of this story, how it plays out. In fact, you're in charge of everything because you're God. Wouldn't that be fun to be God for a day? Have you thought about that? If I were a God for a day, there'd be no more mosquitoes. Avocados would never go bad. Chocolate wouldn't make you fat. And the Cubs would win the World Series every year. That may not be your list, but you're not God. I am for the day. But I digress. If you were God, and you were planning to raise Jesus from the dead, and in Christ's resurrection from the tomb, launch a movement of people with a message of grace and love that would change the course of human history, a movement based on Christ's life, death, and resurrection that would open the way for all humanity to abundant and eternal life, 
Wouldn't you launch that campaign with an epic marketing plan? I mean, wouldn't you launch that with Jesus appearing in the temple in Jerusalem? Or better yet, in the halls of power in Rome? Or maybe that angelic choir that announced Jesus' birth would make an encore appearance in the skies for all to see. Isn't that how you would announce that Christ is risen? Are you kidding me? Holy cow, I can't believe it. Nothing will ever be the same. Christ is risen indeed? But no. No, that's not what happens. It's not even close to what happens. Instead, in a single word that I imagine was probably just a whisper, Jesus simply calls out the name of his beloved friend, Mary. And hearing her name, her name spoken, her name as it is known by her creator, her teacher, her friend, that's all it takes to change everything for Mary. For her grief to be transformed to joy, her lament to praise, her hopelessness to hopefulness, her resignation of the world as it is to a resurrection of the world as God intends it to be. And she will never be the same. In fact, it's Mary, of all people, who was the one to run and tell the other disciples. It's Mary who becomes the first preacher and proclaimer in history to ever declare the good news, I have seen the Lord. And faithful disciples have been declaring, proclaiming the good news of God's presence among us ever since. Yes, Mary's good news does impossibly launch a movement that will change the world, but all of it begins with her name, with Jesus calling her by name, Mary. Now, we can appreciate, I suspect, how important our names are to us. For each of us, our names are an important part of our identity. To be known by our names, to be called by name, it matters. It makes a difference in our relationships with one another. The late preacher and author Frederick Beekner writes, My last name is spelled B-U-E-C-H-N-E-R, but it's pronounced Beekner. If somebody mispronounces my name in some foolish way, I have the feeling that's what foolish is me. And if somebody forgets my name, I feel that it's I who am forgotten. There's something about it that embarrasses me in just the same way that there's something about me that embarrasses me. I can't imagine myself with any other name like Merrill or Lavachek. If my name were different, I would be different. And when I tell you my name, I have given you a hold over me that you didn't have before. Because if you call my name, I stop and look and listen, whether I want to or not. He's on to something. Our names are important. Being called by name, being known by our names matters. And I can appreciate that like Pastor Beekner, some of us, some of us have names that are not as common or as predictable to remember. And so it's even more meaningful for us, isn't it, when people get it right. My name is Corey. It's not that uncommon of a name, but Corey is one of those names that can be spelled in a wide variety of ways. And Corey is a name that is equally given to girls and boys, depending on how it's spelled. Perhaps that's why when I showed up my freshman year at Whitworth College, I discovered that the registrar had spelled my name in a more feminine way and had signed me up for the girls' PE class. <laughs> Fine with me, I said. 
thinking maybe this is what they mean by a liberal arts education? I don't know. My wife's name is Miriam, which is a little less common name. And because there's a few close variations on it, and it's a little less familiar, it's often mispronounced or misspelled. In fact, a couple of years ago, Miriam started taking pictures of the cups at Starbucks when baristas would write her name for her order. I think we've got a couple of them today, don't we, Michael? Like, this is Marian, M-A-R-R-I-A-N, and then my favorite was Miriam, M-E-R-I-U-M, just among a handful of those that have been captured. Though, as Miriam and I were laughing about it earlier this week, I said, you know what, it could be worse, and quickly found a couple of other examples. Here's somebody who said, my name is Mark with a C. <laughs> I know it takes a minute, doesn't it? And even better, a barista that I would have given a double tip to, this one, Brian with a Y. <laughs> so funny. But it's true, isn't it? Our names matter. Being known by our names, being called by our name. It's an important marker, not only of how we see ourselves, but our relationships with one another. It's important enough to change everything. The author and educator Mary Ann Bird was born with multiple birth defects. She was deaf in one ear, had a cleft palate and a disfigured face, and walked with difficulty because of lopsided feet. As you can imagine, Mary Ann's childhood was a nightmare as the other kids teased her mercilessly. Now, at her school, every year, the children would participate in a hearing test. Some of you might remember these days at school. The classroom teacher would call every child to the front desk and have the child first cover one ear and then the other ear. The teacher would then whisper some simple phrase like, the sky is blue or you have new shoes. This was called the whisper test. And if the child could repeat the phrase, then their hearing was apparently fine and they had passed the test. Now in those moments to avoid humiliation one more time, Marianne had figured out as a young child how to cheat on the test. And she would casually cup her hand over her one good ear so that she could hear what the teacher whispered when she whispered into her deaf ear. One year, Marianne's classroom teacher was Miss Leonard, one of the most beloved and popular teachers in the school, known for exuding gentleness and kindness to all the children. And when the time came for Marianne's hearing test, Marianne cupped her hand over her good ear as she had done so many times before and strained to hear what Miss Leonard would whisper. Remembering this moment years later, Marianne would write, I heard words that day words that God must have put into her mouth, words that changed my life. Because Miss Leonard did not whisper, the sky is blue, or you have new shoes. Instead, she whispered, Marianne, I wish you were my little girl. And those simple but powerful words 
became a watershed moment in Marianne Bird's life. For her, they changed everything. Miss Leonard had whispered words of belovedness and worthiness alongside Marianne's name, an expression of affirmation that swept away all the judgment, all the lament, all the insecurity from her life and opened the way for her to a new life, to a kind of resurrection from the tomb of her wounded body and spirit. Marianne started to understand herself as loved and lovable and dared to envision a future not constrained by her circumstances, but a future that would transcend them. Indeed, following in the footsteps of Miss Leonard, she would go on to become an acclaimed teacher known herself for kindness and compassion. And so this morning, we remember that the resurrection, the promise and possibility of new life, begins first with each of us before there becomes a movement of all of us. And maybe that's why the announcement of the resurrection wasn't outsourced to some fancy advertising firm in a big city, but instead it begins quietly in a garden through a one-on-one encounter with Jesus and him whispering her name, Mary. Mary, I've risen from the dead. I'm alive. Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. Mary, I'm the source of new life in all the places of your life, of your world that you experience death and grief, fear, loneliness, and longing. Mary, I am the light of the world, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Mary, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Mary, oh Mary, new life is standing right in front of you. Just look and see, listen and hear the one who knows you by name the one in whom you will know belonging and worthiness. You will know purpose and promise for your life. She had thought that he was the gardener until he whispered her name. And in that moment, everything changed because Jesus hadn't just come back from the dead. He had come back to her. He had come back for her, Mary. And I believe that's how the good news of resurrection was announced and is still announced Every time we hear the voice of our Creator calling us with that same profound proclamation today. Yes, the story of the power in the resurrection is for the whole world, the world that God so loves, John 3.16 tells us. But it's understandable in the midst of the daily grind of our own lives, the strained relationships, the tired bodies and wounded spirits, the financial pressures, the unfulfilled hopes and dreams, the alarming headlines and the cable news rage, it's understandable that we might believe there's hope for the resurrection somewhere or someday, but not for me, not today. And friends, here's the good news for you this morning. The one who proclaimed, I am the resurrection and the life, is the one today who knows you by name, and calls you beloved with a love that cannot be buried, a love that will never die. It was true for Mary Magdalene, and the world would never be the same. It was true for Mary Ann Bird, and her life would never be the same. And it's true for you this morning, sisters and brothers in Christ. The gift of new life, of abundant life, of eternal life, is for you today, and it's given to you in a one-on-one encounter by the one who created you and knows your name. So maybe, maybe this year, 
like a crew of unknowing Holy Week construction workers, we too might be surprised by Easter's presence and power to transform our lives again. And from here, together, we will be sent out running to declare, I have seen the Lord. For friends, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.